you, you have a plan and it doesn't work out. I was thinking about it as I read the, read the, the word this week and, and um, I've had a lot of those journeys in my life. I'm sure all of us have had them. It's kind of hard though sometimes to think about them. But I remember a couple I want to share with you. One was, one was this. We did this thing called bike camp. And uh, bike camp was this thing where uh, high school and junior high kids would go ride their bikes for a week, right? Which explained to a 16-year-old why you should want to ride a bike for a week is a difficult proposition. <laughs> I remember being 16. You don't want to ride the bike anywhere anymore <laughs> when you're 16. But there's something that's so cool about this week at camp. And, and so we had this great idea. We, we, we changed it up. And Duke Hampshire actually has up this ministry. And he would change it every year so we wouldn't get boring. It was a four-year cycle because, you know, senior high kids. And so that's why we would roll through it. And, and uh, so we decided to do the Katy Trail one year. Right? Because most of our bike camp trips were like home base, which is safe. And we would go out and come back and go out and come back and go out and come back, right? And it was kind of a safe way to journey. Duke says, hey, how about we ride the Katy Trail? And we camp, pack up, ride, unpack, camp, pack up, ride with like 60 or 40 kids, however many it was. I can't remember now. It, was, it seemed like a lot. It was like wrangling cats half the time, right? I mean, it was crazy. And so we tried this. And so Duke had done a lot of diligence. He'd done a lot of hard work ahead of time to plan out the journey. I mean, I mean he, he, he's kind of a, he's a great administrator, and he had stops and cities and times, and he had called ahead and scheduled churches to stay in. And, and I mean, the kids show up, and you know, they're just kind of like, woo! They don't know what's happening, right? But there's a lot of planning that went into this trip. Now, what we didn't know was God had another plan for us, and that was to send through some of the most uh, horrific storms in the area in like a decade. And uh, the first night, it rained so bad that I think all but one tent was completely soaked. We were all at four in the morning under the pavilion, shivering, wet sleeping bags. I mean, it was crazy. And, and you start to think a couple of things as, a, as a, a pastor at that point. Like, first of all, uh, I have no business doing this job. <laughs> you look at the fear in these kids' eyes, you know, it's like lightning around. But then you start to understand that this is the teaching about the truth that God goes before us, makes a plan. And so we try to make the best of it. Well, I'll make, make the point here I'm trying to make is this. So we end up getting ready to scrap the whole trip because nothing is going according to plan. Nothing. Every night it would rain. Every day we would we'd try to dry out sleeping bags. How hard is it to dry out a sleeping bag on a, a camping trail? I mean, it's impossible, right? And, and tents, and it was just ridiculous. And so we end up, by the grace of God, and there's a little story, if you want to hear it, Steve Hams could share it with you. Someone puts us in a sheep pen <laughs> because they're telling us, you guys shouldn't be out here. This is going to be the storm of the century kind of a speech, you know? And, uh, and so we're like, well, let's, let's, we decide to press on, press on anyway, continue the journey anyway. And we stay in the sheep pen. I only share this with you because of this. That one night in a sheep pen was unbelievably defining for me. Unbelievably. And always good and bad. I would like to say there was some beautiful, man, it was great, the storm blew over. No, that wasn't the case. At, at three in the morning, we were holding down tents while the winds ripped through. And there was a guy who said, if I blow this horn, you got to run in that ditch immediately. This is the kind of situation we're in. And some of the kids are sleeping, which is amazing. That's a gift of God right there to sleep through that kind of a storm. And literally, we held the tents, and they blew so hard that the poles snapped and warped. But we were preserved. Huh. By the grace of God, we would say the next morning, some of the kids were oblivious. And we'd say, by the grace of God. And... Uh, and we rode on. And you know, those next few days became this kind of open book of where are we going next? How far should we ride today? Where should we stop? And it was this whole new journey that in spite of all of our planning became this whole new endeavor. And it felt different to us. 
and the skies parted, and the sun came out, and the bags dried up, and, you know, it was amazing. It was an amazing week of camp. And it could have gone either way, and we knew that. I don't know if you've had those experiences in your life. Uh, I think about, too, one other is, is my honeymoon. Um, I went on my honeymoon, and, and we wanted to go to uh, um, Florida. My wife did, but we were very poor. <laughs> we couldn't afford Florida, so we talked ourselves into Biloxi, Mississippi. Nothing wrong with Biloxi, Mississippi, by the way. It's not Florida. And we didn't know it until we got there. Somebody had told us it's like Florida. They're like, it's just like Florida and Biloxi. And we're like, okay. And then we got there. And as a newlywed, as a husband, uh, to see the extreme, utter, crushing disappointment in the eyes of my beloved wife was too much to bear. We had prepaid for a week. We had all of our stuff mapped out. We had plans in Biloxi. And in that moment, we decided, or I should say I boldly, I, I mean, seriously, because Chris is not, she's a planner. <laughs> I said, you know what? Are you happy here? She says, no. I said, let's just go. Let's just go to Florida. Oh, we can't. I said, let's just go. Let's cancel our plans and go. I talk her into this. I get out a map. Remember back when we had maps before GPS and Google? Do you remember we actually had real maps we had to look at? So I got out this map of the United States, but I didn't look at the United States part. I looked at the state versions, right? Because I had a, a, a ruler to measure the distance. This is pathetic, right? And I'm going through, and I'm trying to figure out how many hours. I'm trying to talk my bride into doing this with me. It's going to be fine. I tell her, it's only six hours to Florida from Biloxi, Mississippi. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, it's this. And I'd give her all the math and everything like that. We're driving down the road the next day. I talk her into it. Go to the manager, get the refund, man. I'm like, yeah, it's working. Call ahead. We need a reservation in, in uh, Daytona Beach. We're going to Daytona Beach. Man. That's where she wanted to go. And we're rolling down the highway. We're so excited. i am got the music up loud, the top down. We had a convertible we borrowed for the, the honeymoon. It was beautiful. And we're driving along, getting a sunburn, of course. And, and just, woo, life is good, you know? And I think we hit the state line of maybe Alabama. When I went, Alabama? I didn't know we were going through Alabama. <laughs> and I go, get off that map. And so it's not the convertible. It's not so much funny more because the wind and the map's blowing around and all this stuff. And we start looking. Oh, my gosh, Alabama is really between Biloxi and Florida, which adds a few hours to the trip. And uh, we went on. We went on. But, you know, the same thing happened there when we got there. It was amazing. But it wasn't the plan. It wasn't the plan. Had we known we set out, it would have probably been a deal breaker. Alabama or Mississippi, whatever it was. I don't know what's down there. It was one of those states that's right down there near the bottom. You know? And there it was, right in our way. And we went right on through it. And we journeyed on. We pressed on. And at any time, there was a chance that we could have stopped and turned around. Or we could have not gone at all. But yet we had this kind of conviction to pursue, to continue the journey. I don't know if you've had those experiences. You know, it's about that time of year. Any of y'all heading south for, for the winter? Snowbirds, they call them, I hear. Uh, that's a fascinating thing, I, I have to say. Um, nothing wrong with that. That's awesome. There's something about those journeys, seasonal journeys that matter. Family vacations, right? They're a journey, aren't they? How many times do you have to pull over and you have little kids? We got, we got so bad with our kids, we just open the door. Those sliding doors are beautiful. <laughs> There's the bathroom. Not for Olivia, but you know. <laughs> don't even get out. We don't have this kind of time. There's something about it that's all unplanned. It's all off schedule. It's out of control, right? And sometimes, you know, things happen and vehicles break down. And, 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 and you know, you start to realize, though, as the years go by, and is that uh, it's all part of the journey. Man, what makes it so memorable to begin with, you know? The journeys that, aren't, that don't have uh, conflict or confrontation are hardly memorable at all. There's something about being on a journey, though, that requires you to keep an open mind. 
right, for all the planning and all the, all the theory ahead of time, on the journey, on the road, you have to keep your mind open. I read a great, a great quote. I, th- I was thinking about this thing. You know, have you ever heard the, the quote, um, men plan, God laughs? You ever heard that? Yeah, right? And, and you know what's funny? That, that quote is kind of a, a bit of a mystery. And the, the uh, etymology they were, where it came from, it's a bit of a mystery. And, um, but I want to share, uh, share with you uh, from the, thir- the 33rd Psalm this morning real quick here. This whole psalm is beautiful, by the way. It says, Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. We don't have one of those yet. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. But down here in verse 10, 33 verse 10, you don't have to turn there if you don't want to, but you can. It says, The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the people. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever, and the purposes of his heart through all generations. And you know what becomes kind of bad news and good news, right, if you're a planner? Because it means that God might just laugh at your plans. But on the other hand, God has a plan. Isn't that comforting to know? And that's what we can trust in in the journey. Mother Teresa actually said it this way. She said, if you want to make God laugh, just tell him your plans for the future. This is a woman who her whole life was seeking God and continually saw how God was no respecter of man, as Peter has taught us. So that's what we're going to talk about today as we get into the text, but I'd like to pray that the word be opened and that we be open to the word this morning. So pray with me if you would. Father God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the truth revealed in your word. We pray today, Lord, that we have open hearts. Open hearts, Lord, that you would do that work in us, that you would make our hearts pliable, you know, get down to the core of it, Lord, and uh, that we would know you in a deeper way, that we would seek your truth, that we would love your word, that we would love your son, and that whatever it took, Lord, we would be following him every day. We thank you. We pray a blessing on this time. We pray a special uh, prayer of thanks for the gift of the Holy Spirit that has been so richly dwelling among us of late. It's not that the Holy Spirit wasn't here, but Lord, we've not always been attentive to that, and we just thank you for the affirmation that you are working among us. We give you praise and glory with broken lips because of him who died for us, and we pray these things in his name. Amen. If you want to turn your Bibles, it's going to be Acts chapter 16. We're going to study today a little bit. But I want to talk about this idea of journey because actually it always goes back all the way to Genesis. You know, there's a story in the first opening pages of Genesis, the first couple sentences. It says God's spirit hovered over the water. There's this idea that there's this moment that God speaks and everything begins. And this, this book of Acts, I want you to see, is a continuation of all that journey, of all time, of all creation. This journey continues today. And, uh, and, and that's what we're going to talk about today in the book of Acts. But even back in Genesis 1, the story begins begins there. By the way, if you, uh, we're going to talk about a life controlled by the Spirit today. And so there's a couple of next steps in the bottom of your cards, and one of them is read Romans 8. Man, Romans 8's been kicking my rear end all week. Romans 8, you know, life in the Spirit versus life in the flesh. And um, I just encourage you to, if you, if you feel compelled to read that, read that this week. You know, read it every day. It's not that hard to read it every day. 8-6 uh, is our memory verse this week, too, so it's, it's beautiful as well. We're going to go through here... Um, the, the 16th chapter of the book of Acts, starting in verse 6. And uh, it's about Paul and his companions. But I want to say a little bit about the context of the story that we're going to hear because we've been journeying through Acts with Paul and there's been a lot of different things that have been happening with Paul, right, and, and, uh, and Peter. But like I said last week, Peter has not heard from him again in the book of Acts, which is kind of amazing, actually. It's just kind of turning. And uh, um, you'll see why, I think, here in a minute. But, uh, but this is Paul's second missionary journey. It's the second time he was sent out. And if you remember, him and Barnabas were like the best of buds, right? They were hanging out, teaching the word, saving the lost, right? I mean, converting people to, to the truth that Jesus is the Christ. And then him and Barnabas had a split over this guy named John Mark. 
right? And, and, they, and they just went their separate ways. And, and if you recall, and this is where we're at, is, is um, Paul decides to take Silas with him, right? And then Barnab- and, uh, Barnabas heads off with John Mark. And they go their separate ways with the blessing of the church. And they go out to do the missionary work before them. And the last thing I want to say uh, here is, is as we open the words, we're going to get a little ahead, but I have to tell you this because it's so funny. Because last week, if you remember, Paul's going back saying circumcision isn't required. And I told you at some point he has somebody circumcised. I just want you to see here in verse 3, it says, Paul wanted to take uh, uh, Timothy. He meets Timothy here. Paul wanted to take Timothy along on a journey, so he circumcised him because the Jews who lived in the area, because they knew that his father was a Greek. So here is Paul, right after one side of his mouth saying, you shouldn't be circumcised. You don't have to be circumcised to be saved, which is true. Right? He then takes this young dude, Timothy, and says, I'm going to have to circumcise you because the Jews aren't going to understand because you're a Greek. You know? So it's kind of funny. I mean, I, I'll leave that to be what it is, but, but it's interesting to me that, uh, that he does that after he says it's not required. And I believe he would say that it's not required for salvation. It was more to get the message heard. Whatever it takes to get the message heard, Paul's going to do it. Right? And so we're going to go here. He's traveling with Timothy and Silas. And uh, this is what it says in verse 6. Paul and his companions traveled throughout the region of Phygera and Galatia, having been kept by the Holy Spirit from preaching the word in the province of Asia. So it sounds like right away that Paul has this plan to go into Asia with the word. God's laid something on his heart. You know, Paul's a man who's been seeking God and proclaiming the word. And here he's going to go into Asia. And it says this. I want you to miss this here right away. Right? It says, Paul was kept from preaching the word by the Holy Spirit. That means he was forbidden from doing it. Now, I can't for the life of me figure out why the Holy Spirit would stop Paul from proclaiming the word, especially to a whole country, right? Does that make a lot of sense? I mean, the idea of an open door, closed door, you know, Paul has a plan, he goes out there, and then something happens, and he's restricted, he's hindered, right, from preaching the word by the Holy Spirit. And so that's how this journey even begins here as he's seeking what God's going to have him do. So when they came to the border of Mysia, they tried to enter Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So here it is again. They're like, okay, then let's go over here. And there the Spirit of Jesus won't let them go in. Isn't that interesting? So they passed by, it says in verse 8. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Tros. And uh, the, the, the idea is, even when the Spirit was saying to them, no, even when the doors were being closed, you know, you ever seen those little cars that go around and bump into a wall and just turn around and go another way? That seems to be kind of Paul in this passage, right? Like, he just rolls up and clunk, 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 and just turns and goes, okay. I mean, and there's a little discernment in that, but he trusts God enough, trusts God enough that whenever there's a door closed, he doesn't try to force it open. I wonder, as we, as we seek uh, the word from the living God in our lives, do we trust that? You know, what areas of our life are we determined to make work exclusively by our power? Have you ever done that? I've, I've done that. Have you ever said, no, you know, no, I'm going to do this. I've got my mind made up. I'm going to force it, right? They call it shoehorning something in, you know. You're going to make it happen. But Paul seems to have the spirit of discernment that he goes, okay. I mean, if you're Paul, don't you want to go preach to Asia? I don't know what gives him this, this peace in his spirit, but he seems to go, okay, where are you going? Where are we going? He just turns around, heads on down the road to Tros, right? So let's read on there. Um, 
So here we go. So they passed by Mysia in verse 8, then went down to Troas. And then during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And after Paul had seen the vision, he, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, including uh, that God, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You see, because in spite of all these closed doors that Paul had been experiencing with this, and this new guy, Timothy, what's he thinking, you know? I mean, Paul's like going, hey, we're going over there, and, and they get there, and they can't get in. What's Timothy thinking about all this, right? And then he's got this kind of, it's not just Paul by himself, but yet he's always open to the Spirit. He has this vision, right, of a man in Macedonia begging him for help. So here's God's plan for the Apostle Paul. He, he might have thought it was here, he might have thought it was there, but he was on the road, he was journeying, and when he heard it, he knew it. And, and not only that, but you know, this wasn't an angel who came to Paul on the vision. Isn't that interesting? It, there's been a lot of debate, was it an angel of the area? There's kind of this, you know, ancient uh, writings trying to figure out who this man from Macedonia was. But the truth is that there was a revelation from another person, it would seem, and a vision that Paul was given to say, come and save us, come and help us. Right? Come and whatever you've got, bring it to us. If you're looking for a place to use it, bring it over here. It was the vision he got in the middle of the night, this word from the Lord. And it says when he got up in the morning, he shared the vision, and they got ready to leave. Zeteo is in here, which I love, because you know I love the word Zeteo. They were seeking um, uh, to leave straight away. Immediately as soon as they got the vision, they were seeking to go. There wasn't a lot of hesitancy here because they were ready for a journey. They were ready for a mission, whatever it was, Lord. And if it ain't this, it's something. And where is it? Show us. We'll go. We'll go. And the minute he gets the vision, they immediately seek to implement, to go. It means straight away. It means they, they were going to make a straight path. They start looking for it. How do I get from here to there as quick as possible? Because they're going. This is Paul's conviction, right? I want you to notice something else, though. Uh, well, here, and they were concluding, I want to say one more thing, they were concluding that God had called them to preach, right? And it means they knit together this idea. It wasn't just Paul's vision that was the final decision. It wasn't that Paul came out and proclaimed it, hey, we're going this way. It was that somehow together, and this is our job, church, as a body, it's somehow together, this is why you're so important to the journey, we discern where God is calling us to go. Because one person can have a vision, it could be totally wrong. God won't reveal things to one person, right? God moves in his people, and there's something about that that is knit together. And that's what the word here means. When it says they concluded together, that means that somehow they got together and Paul shared a vision. They're like, that's what it's been about. That's what we've been waiting for. That's where we're going to go, to Macedonia. Yes. And they got buy-in from the whole team. And they were, on, they were ready to go. They were convinced. They knit together this story. You know, I don't know. I don't know. Was Silas like, you know, I've been wanting to go to Macedonia for a while. You know, it was Timothy like, hey, I, my dad's a Greek. I remember, you know, that's, a, that's an important place. There's a great place I call Philippi. What is it that drives these men to discern together that there is work to be done? Something does, the Spirit of God. They discern it, and they follow it, right? I want you to point out something else to you here. One of the things I talked about earlier in the book of Acts, but I want to share with you. In verses 8 through 10, I want you to read this just real quick with me again. It says, so they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas, right? During that night, Paul had a vision of a man in Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. And in verse 10, after Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once. Now, isn't that, do you see what happened there? Peter disappears in the text, right? Do you see what happened there? What's it, what happens? It goes from they passed by Mysia to we got ready to leave. This is an important thing because that means that the author of this book of Acts, this would be Brother Luke, right, joined the journey. 
All of a sudden, it makes a little more sense why Peter kind of falls away. Because Luke starts a journey with Paul. He doesn't stay with him the whole time either. This can go back to the day again. It becomes this kind of narrative where he's saying, and, and I can take it from here. What happened over there? And he's writing it down. Now, I remember, I remember when we went down the trials. When you guys came down the trials, and I ran into you there and went over to Philippi. I'll write that part of the story. And this story becomes a firsthand narrative of Brother Luke writing to us. And it's a huge thing. It's just a beautiful thing. And it's kind of a little, a little thing if you don't notice it. But it's huge in that it tells us this story is known to Luke. This isn't just something he tried to record in hindsight. There's something here that's happened that he experienced, he lived, he knew. He wrote his gospel about it, right? There's something he was convicted about. Luke was on a journey. And so here's what happens. So Paul, Luke, and, and everyone else with them, right, become obedient. The, the posse is growing, if you will, right? And I'm going to read on. It says this, that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. In verse 11, if you're going to read along here. From trials, we set out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace. The next day, on to Neapolis, right? So there's this, this, this journey there, hitting it, going, going. And from there, we traveled to Philippi, uh, a Roman colony, in the leading city of that district, Macedonia, and we stayed there several days. So they get called to Macedonia, and they, yeah, that's not going to, there's the trip. Look at that. That's kind of cool, right? It's just tiny. But that's where they are right there. You see that little leg they just took? So that's the journey that they're on. And, and they go straight up. There's that, that little jog straight north. They're just like, man, if we got to go to Macedonia, we're going straight across the water. And they just skip through these towns. Neapolis is known as the new city, right? It's the first city they're going to encounter in the, uh, in the province of, of uh, Mesoto- Mesotopia. No, not Mesopotamia. <laughs> um, uh, Macedonia, different place. And so they, they go straight there, right? And from there they went to Philippi, a Roman colony, and the leading city of that district of Macedonia, and they stayed there for several days, okay? So here they are, they've arrived. Now I want to say something, that, that there's something that when they show up here, right, and they get to where they're supposed to go, they're called there, there's no big welcoming party. Isn't that interesting? They show up there in Philippi, and there's no, there's no big, you know, uh, uh, it says they wait. It literally means they kind of, pat, it means they rub the path together. Isn't that funny? It means they wore it bare. I don't know if they were pacing. Have you guys pacers? I don't know if they were pacing. Like, it seems like Paul is so pent up about this work, and, and when he gets there, maybe he just wears out a path in Philippi. He's waiting for what's next. It kind of means like rubbing stones together. Twiddling your thumbs, maybe, Right? There's something going on here. They're waiting. They're anticipating the work. Okay? And they're, but they're obedient to the word. I want you to see that. And they, wrote, they say, we're going to try to find a straight way, and they find a straight way, and they sail straight over, right? And, uh, and they end up in not just any city in Macedonia, but they end up in the chief, one of the biggest cities in Macedonia, one of the biggest cities. And it's a unique city because it's actually a Roman colony, right? And, and it's modeled, the city's modeled after Rome itself. It's like a mini Rome. It's like one of the most blessed places you could be if you're in a colony. Everything that they do there is, uh, is designed after, after Rome. And they show up there, and they wait. Uh, by the way, uh, one, one of the other next steps this week is going to be be present to the Holy Spirit's leading. And I want to take a moment to talk about this because I believe that somehow in our own journeys, you know, we don't, we don't trust that, right? I don't know why we always reluct speaking to the living God and instead take the advice of men. Now, I'm, I'm saying you counsel with men. You hear what they're having to say. But, you know, I would encourage you to wait upon the Spirit's leading on things, no matter what it is. And you might say, well, my life isn't all that spiritual. I don't, I don't you know, it doesn't for me. But, but there's, no matter what it is, a new job, trust God with it. Trust that the Spirit's going before you, preparing a way, preparing a place. 
Even when you get there and you think you've arrived, wait, look around, be present. That's what that kind of means this week. Be present to the Holy Spirit's leading, whatever it looks like this week. Wherever you are, every day, that's going to be, I'm going to take that myself, as a, to be present in that moment. Was it a conversation? Well, it's this moment right now. Are you present to God speaking right now? See, I don't think we do that very well. We're so busy. We're so busy with our plans. So I'd encourage you to do that, to be, be present with the Holy Spirit this week and uh, where he is leading you to go. And so we're going to read on here, because then this is where it kind of is funny, because they're waiting now for the work in Macedonia. So they stayed there several days, it says. And on the Sabbath, they went outside the city, in verse 13, uh, outside the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. And I first read that, I thought, well, they're expecting to find a place to pray, right? Because they're, they're still practicing uh, Jews, and, and they're in this kind of foreign land. So they're going to go out by running water. This is the idea to be clean, be cleansed, be washed clean, to be praying to God, right? To be offering genuine prayer. And so I thought, they're probably going out to find a place to pray. And if you read it that way, listen to the next verse then. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. And I thought, well, so Paul goes down there, and he's going he's gonna to pray, and then there's women in his prayer spot. You know, you hate when that happens? You show up and there's somebody already there praying. Actually, do you hate when that happens? You have a prayer spot you go to sometimes? You know, I was at Greenville College. I used to have a prayer spot I went to. When I'd go there and people were parked in my spot, I'd be all frustrated with it, you know. Oh, you're in my way. I can't pray now. So dumb, right? And, and so, uh, so, so, but they go down. But, but read what it says. I want to read it again a different way. And I'm not saying either way. I want you to hear this another way, though. On the Sabbath, right, the day that Paul was always going to the synagogues and teaching, right, the day he would always be, before the people professing the gospel of Christ, it says they went outside the city gate to the river. They went away from this kind of place of, of power, of knowledge, of wisdom, or whatever it was, right, where they expected to find a place of prayer, a place of true prayer. And when he goes out there, who's he find? But women gathered there, assumably praying. Now, that's just a little different taste, isn't it? Because Paul's saying, I got to find some real listeners, some real followers of God in the city. Let's go to the place where they always pray. Where would you pray? Let's go down by the river to pray, right? And they go down there, and maybe it's both. Maybe he went down to pray, and he met the women there. But it's interesting that it says he sat down. That's actually a way that it symbolizes the importance that he was kind of coming as if he was in a synagogue and sat down, and he began to speak to the women who had gathered there. So he went to find those who were doing, who were seeking, who were looking for the living God to proclaim the truth of the gospel of the living God, and he found them by the river. And this becomes the story in Philippi. Because you see right there in verse 14, one of those listening, she had ears to hear, was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God, just like Cornelius, just like those who God had been revealing himself to. She was a seeker after the true God. She was a worshiper of true God. Her word Lydia actually means she was a hard worker. She worked really hard. Where she was now was far from where she was born, right? So she had come a long way in life. But no matter where she was, she was still seeking the true God. She was still looking and praying to the true God. And just like Cornelius, right, God is honoring that in her. And I'm not sure if you're there, if you've been successful, if, you've, if you're off and you've made your own kingdom, if you find yourself far from home. I pray wherever you are that today you're seeking the living God because he is there waiting to speak to you. So she was a worshiper of God, right? And the Lord, it says, opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And that's, that's what we were talking about earlier with Steve up here, right? God does the work. We sow the seed. God does the work. 
It literally means he laid her heart open. I want to tie a little allusion in here to circumcision because later on, Paul starts talking about the idea of having a circumcised heart. Something's been cut away. There's not an outward sign anymore of the truth of the gospel. It's an inward sign. There's some newness of heart, right? In, in, the, in the letter to the Galatians, he writes the fruits of the Spirit, Paul says, right? Can we talk about that? What are the fruits of the Spirit? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, gentleness, and faithfulness. And those fruit grow all on their own from the Spirit of God. We don't, you have ever seen a tree that tried to grow fruit like this? There's something about the soil. There's something about the watering and the light. There's something about the conditions it's in. But do you watch it strain? We got this plant that you all actually gave us that we almost killed <laughs> sitting in our window. And, and you know what it does? It just raises up and bears fruit. It needs nurturing, a little water once in a while. Don't kill it. <laughs> That's what we were doing. A little food once in a while, a little sunlight once in a while. But it just raises up. The fruits of the Spirit are manifest in our life. We're following the living God. And I would pray for a little self-examination here. Go to Galatians. I think it's 5.22. Galatians 5.22, where they're listed in 23. And just read through those and ask yourself a question. Are those being manifest in my life? Don't go out and try to manifest them, right? But ask the question and then pray to God about it. Am I ever, am I ever increasing in fruit for you? Is there a joy, like in Lydia here, right, who gets the open heart surgery from the living God? Is there this joy that pours out of her heart? We're going to read on the text. But I just want to say that she literally had her heart laid open. It means to divide and open it up. And that's our prayer today is that God will be doing that right now maybe with you. Just your heart's been hard and callous and it's like one of those little suckers with a chewy caramel inside. And we pray that God is just cracking through the outside and just pulling it open because brothers and sisters, there's a whole life to live. It's too short to have a hard heart. God is trying to circumcise it, trying to cut away all that garbage and get to the good stuff, right? That's the testimony of a believer in Jesus Christ. It's not what we've manifested in our own lives, what God has done through us. That's what we're doing here at Family Bible Church. All right, I'm going to leave that alone, but I, 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 just want, I just hope you hear that today, that God is the open-heart surgeon, you know, and you go in there and he just cuts it away, cuts it away. God, do that in our lives today. Cut away all the garbage and the filth. Give us a soft heart for you. The Lord opened her heart to respond to the message that Paul had brought. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. So you see what happens here is the exact same thing we talked about last week of baptism. Is as soon as she knows the living God, and brothers and sisters, they're right by the river. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's just like old times. Well, there's water. I mean, there's water everywhere, you know. You are dead to yourself. You are alive in Christ. You're a new creation. You're no longer the same. And she believes it. And she knows it. And she says, hey, guys, come to my place. Come check it out. I, I want you to stay with us, but it means it says more than that. Read on with me here. She invites us to her home, Luke writes. And then she says this, if you consider me to be a believer, that is to be faithful, to be a true believer, to know of the Lord, right? Kurios, the one who is now commanding us. If you consider me to be a true believer, she says, come and stay at my house. And the last verse here we're going to look at, it says, she persuaded us. And that all, if you read it, no one says it in translations. I'm not sure why. It means she forced them. It mean, and I don't know if people have said, well, Paul didn't want to impose on her. <laughs> Paul didn't want to be a burden. Have you ever done that? People offer you something out of kindness, and you go, oh, no, I'm fine. And there's something ungraceful about that, isn't there? Not just accepting it. 
you eat a meal at somebody's house and they're a horrible cook. You know what I'm saying? There's something ungraceful about, like, turn up your nose, you know, scraping it in the trash, giving it to the dog. You know what I'm saying? There's something about that, that, that someone's offers something to you, you receive it. And Paul, Paul relucts, though, you see, because she persuades him. Paul, she persuades him to come to her house and stay there. And you're going to find that, that right after this story, what happens is that they run on ahead, and there's this great story, which we're not going to cover, and I'm kind of, you know, lamenting that fact, but of this, this prophetess who is proclaiming that these are the people proclaiming the gospel of the Most High God, which is a huge reference, right, to who Jesus Christ is. And she's proclaiming it, and it's true. But, but all this stuff begins when he's living with Lydia in her home. And then after this happens, he's imprisoned. He, he, gets, he gets released from prison because he's a Roman citizen, Paul is, right? And then he goes back to Lydia's house and celebrates there. All that, I would encourage you to read it. Um, chapter 16, read the whole thing and, and read the, what happens after Lydia's uh, house. One, one other thing that I want to say is Paul, Paul later on, you see, Paul took great boast, he said, in the fact that he never took money for ministry. He shared the gospel of his own ability. He was the guy that literally took a staff and a belt and sandals. And that was all he needed to proclaim the gospel. And I think sometimes we make it so hard to proclaim the truth of Jesus Christ, right? And he went out into the world. But you know one of the things he did later in life to support himself? He was a tent maker. And there are those who would say that you know, Lydia was a dealer in fine linens, fine cloth, you know, and that, that he had, been, had learned his trade there somehow, right? that there's something on the trail, on the journey, he was gifted anew. And it became a boast for him to say, I never took anything from you. I never took anything from you. I only brought the gospel to you. And this becomes uh, Paul's testimony later on. But I think it's funny that this, this, this encounter that he has with Lydia begins to shape him and uh, to shape his journey in some way. We can't help with that to happen, Right? We can't show up and leave our blessings in the door and head on down the road unaffected. It's not how it works. We're in there pouring ourselves into it. We are changed. We're transformed because God has a plan. God has a plan. I was reading uh, that quote earlier from Mother Teresa, right? Here, here's another one. Uh, Mother Teresa was talking to a friend of hers, and she said, I, God's given me a new prayer. God's given me a new prayer. And this is it. Use me. Do whatever you want in my life. Send me wherever you want me to go, but please don't consult me. And that's a bold prayer because we think that at the very least, we have to have buy-in, right? At the very least, we have to have a say in it, right? God is good, and he's going before us. I would encourage you to trust him in the journey today. Let's pray together. Father God, whatever it takes today, we pray that we would be trusting you for the journey that we would be seeking you and going after you, uh, that, you would, that we would know you have a plan for us. And, and as individuals and as a people, Lord, and whatever that means, may we trust it. And uh, we give you praise and glory for the work you're doing right here today, the heart surgery today. We give you glory and honor for that. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. I want to close with one more thing here. That uh, the, um, uh, I don't know where you are today in your journey. You know, we always say that every week.